Well, hello, ladies and ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 79 of the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast. I'm Jake Johansson. I say it every week, but there is a possibility that you've made a mistake, and so I like to just tell you exactly what's happening to you here at the beginning of the show. It's me, and it's the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast. So thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I hope you appreciate it. If this is your first time listening, uh, there's a lot of other old things that you could listen to if you want to. Um, and, or, also, there's this week's show with my special guest, Dora Militaru. She's Romanian. A lot of people are probably asking themselves, hey, I wonder if Jake has a friend from behind the Iron Curtain. And I do. But she's there's no Iron Curtain anymore, but that's where she started out. So she's going to tell me that story. I've heard it before, but I wanted her to tell it on the podcast because I thought it was interesting. All right? There you go. Let's face it. I think you might like it. And uh, you know what else you might like <laughs> is to come and see me at a, uh, at a show in a comedy club or a theater. If that's, I don't think that's going to be happening the beginning of this year. But some of these comedy clubs are like little mini theaters. They're certainly bigger than your room or wherever it is that you're listening to this now, I'm sure. The bus, the treadmill. Crank it up, everyone, if you're on the treadmill. Anyway, if you live in Canada, that's a whole other country from the one I'm in right now. I'm back in Los Angeles, and I'm going to Edmonton, Canada, January 23rd through 26th for uh, shows at the comic strip on Bourbon Street in the West Edmonton Mall. It's a mall with a street inside of it. And it's not like that other Bourbon Street that uh, I do love New Orleans, but I have to say that I'm not crazy about the other Bourbon Street. But this Bourbon Street is just all right with me. So um, Edmonton, red alert. Put on your coat and come out to the show. Then if you live at the bottom of the United States down in Addison, Texas, which is technically just outside of Dallas, and you knew that if you live in Dallas, but I'm telling other people who might live in Oklahoma who are thinking, geez, I, I live near Texas, maybe I should go to that show. Yeah, I'll be in Addison, Texas at the Improv, January 29 through uh, February 1. So that's, that's a chance for us to be together in Texas. Valentine's Day weekend, February 13 through 16, I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio. Hey ho, Ohio, at the Funny Bone. In the Easton Town Center Pretend Mall Shopping Area, Columbus Funny Bone, February 13th or 16th. Happy Valentine's Day. Bring your Valentine out and then go home and have sex after the show. That's a plan. I, don't, I know that's a plan. I know that's pretty much everybody's plan all the time. But uh, let's make it happen that weekend or the next uh, weekend, February 19th to 22. I'll be in Austin, Texas. Returning to the Cap City Comedy Club, returning after a long, it's, it's been a while since I've been there. So this is a chance for us to be together and prove our love. And let's face it, we are in love, right? You and me? Sure we are. You know, if you like me, I'm also part of a comedy podcast network. What is that? Well, look, you at least you know what a podcast is. Well, there's a network. And I don't even, I'm not even really sure what it means, but I'm a joiner when Bill Burr and Al Madrigal call me up to ask me to join something. I join it, and I would do it again if they asked me to join something else. Softball team, I don't know, glee club. I don't think I would join. I, you know what? I take it back. I would join a glee club. I would do it. I can't really sing, but I feel like that's their problem, not my problem. Uh, anyway, the All Things Podcast Network, is a, there's a lot of awesome podcasts on there. 
You can uh, check out Tofop by my friend Will Anderson, Jack Cations, Dork Forest. You got Tom Papa, Come to Papa. You've got Walking the Room with Greg Parents and Dave Anthony, and the great Tom Rhodes radio shows on on that. Anyway, those are just some shows. Those are some ideas of some shows of some people who I know and have met at sometimes in the past. And so we can start having the same friends, which is really what this podcast is all about: is you and me having the same friends and sharing more and more of our lives until inevitably one of us asks to borrow money from the other one. I hope that's going to be me. I hope it's going to be me borrowing money from you and not you asking to borrow money from me. It's going to be awkward when you do that because we're probably going to be meeting after you've seen one of my shows and you're going to come up afterward and go, Hey, Jake, I feel like we're friends. I listen to the podcast all the time. I spent, I really, I drank too much at the show and I need to borrow some money for my cab home or some such story like that is the one that I imagine. Or maybe or maybe it's condoms. Maybe you want condoms. Maybe, hey, I had a great time at the show and I have had – I can show you my written down plan for tonight, which is I brought my Valentine regardless of whatever the date is. And I'd like to uh, <coughs> take <coughs> – excuse me. Oh, a little bit of coughing on the show. Always nice. I'd like to take my Valentine home, him or her, uh, depending on which way you roll your um, tamales. But I need some condoms, and I've got to stop at the drugstore, and I spent all my money at your show. And so can you loan me a few bucks to get some condoms so I can implement my sex plan? I don't know what I'm going to say to you at the time, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to laugh. And if you're the first person to do that, <laughs> I'm probably going to give you ten bucks. Okay. Uh, go. Ready? Go. Now, uh, this week, I'm back in Los Angeles. I was in New York City doing some shows. Thank you to all of the people who came to those shows at the Great Gotham Comedy Club and to all the great comics. That's one of the fun things about uh, being at that club is you get to see some of your uh, friends in the comedy show business. If you're a comedian, if you, you know, or if you're listening to the show, you get to see me. We're friends now. Um, and uh, it was a great trip to New York. We had all the weather, freezing cold, drizzle. It got up to 54 degrees one day. It was ridiculous. And on the last day, I stayed for an extra four days to edit my new special, which I taped at Hilarities in Cleveland last December. And it's looking great. We were editing it. I was going to have one last day to take one last look at everything and tweak and make it so it's metaphorically and literally sparkles for you, listener, who is going to be a future watcher of this thing. And uh, I got in. We were going to start early because the editor is having a baby. You need to know all this information. Why? Because we're friends, and you may see Rob at some point in the future, and uh, and you want to congratulate him on his new daughter. She's she's on her way. But so he they were going to go tour the hospital, he and his wife, and so we had to start early. I get in there just before 9 o'clock in the morning. Yes, 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 America and ships at sea and people around the world, Nine o'clock in the morning is early for comedians. <laughs> so I get there, and Dora Militaru, this week's guest on the podcast, is just kind of mumbling the word disaster and my name, like disaster, Jake, disaster. She has a little bit of an accent, you'll hear. And there had been a leak, a pipe. It was such ridiculous weather in New York that a pipe had burst over the top of the edit bay and was leaking down into the room. Now, listeners of the podcast may remember that I had a small plumbing disaster here at my home uh, earlier. Well, I shouldn't say this year because that's last year now. It's ancient history. But I had a plumbing disaster here at home. 
And they cost it wound up being about a two thousand dollar day when you added in the water. Three hundred dollars worth of water had been dribbling and running out over the weeks that this plumbing disaster manifested itself here at my house. This one that happened at the Edit Bay, the pipe burst because it was freezing cold in New York and then leaked down through the ceiling from the floor above us, I believe, directly above, and right down onto kind of the keyboard or just in front of the keyboard area of the edit bay. So when I got there, there was already plastic over the top of the editing machine. We weren't going to work. Who knew if the whole thing was ruined? Once you get water in your hard drive, ladies and gentlemen, forget it. You're in trouble. That is trouble. I don't know. I don't know if you know a lot about computers, but uh, you can't do not clean them off with a hose. That's that's the tip of the day. So, oh my God, it was awful. So the first part of the day was just moving hard drives from the other room. So it looks like anyway, it looks like the the show is fine, but I didn't get to have my last day of work in New York City. It was kind of that disappointment. You think you're going to really polish it off, and we're going to be we're going to be high fiving. I love a high five, as you also know if you listen to the show. I love a high five, and that's something that we could do probably before and after you asked to borrow money from me. Uh, so, or I asked to borrow money from you. Let's not forget that that's a possibility. I, sh- I shouldn't spin this as if I'm going to be the one who's loaning out the money because you might be loaning out. I w- let's be. We're going to take a look at each other and we're going to decide who needs to loan who in uh, ten dollars, or in your case, it may be more. Um. Anyway, where was I? Oh, so yeah, we didn't. It, there was this disappointment of not being able to to work on the show. And that lasted the rest of the day, and I still now have to do some internet Skyping. I have to Skype edit the last sparkly pass on my special. But I do it. I'm going to Skype edit the sparkly pass just for you, ladies and gentlemen. And that sounds almost magically naughty. Spark. uh, I can't even say it again. Spike edit the sparkle pass. Spike edit the sparkle pass. So I had a... I had a day that day where I just had lunch with my friend Dora, and then I asked her to be on the podcast, and she was kind enough, and we we did it. We did it. You know, we might have actually done it the night before the terrible rain. In fact, I think we did. So um, this week's guest is my friend Dora Militaro, who I met, I think, 13 years ago, and uh, we did this PBS show together, which we talk about in the podcast, so she can tell you all about that. And this show is basically her history, so I don't want to give you her whole resume, but she is my collaborator, um, director, and uh, co-producer on my latest special. And we are having this opportunity to work together after knowing each other for all this time and starting off working together. She came to my wedding. She's one of my friends. I see her all the time when I go to New York or when she comes to Los Angeles. And... uh, we're very different, but we wound up in the same place, which is working together on this show years ago and now working on this show now. And it's kind of interesting when I think about myself, you know, when you think about yourself and your friends and and how you found each other in the big world. Now, of course, some of you met people in high school and those are the people you're still hanging out with. So this is a different story from that because this is a this is a friend of mine from the other side of the earth. She started off in Romania, and now she is a New Yorker. A New Yorker in the, in the kind of way that New Yorkers would be proud of being a New Yorker. Like, she's a, well, I mentioned it in the show. She's a Sex in the City type of New Yorker. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. I'm going to start this thing. Dora Militaru. Here we go. 
Laura. This is very exciting. Very exciting. Yes, I'm so happy to have you on my podcast. You just talk in there, just like that. You just talk in there. Just talk, talk just so that uh, I can hear you, and then the machine can hear you. The machine can hear me. If you can hear me, the machine can hear me. That's right. These machines are very clever nowadays. Very clever. So. I'm so excited to have you on my podcast and to get to hear your story again. That's because that's what I was hoping that we could talk about today. Because we've known each other. F- How many years have we known each other now? I think about 12, 12, 13, something like so that. So that seems. 2000 ish, 2001. I think, yeah, I think we might have met in 2000. Yeah. But uh, something like that. Something yeah. like that. And so we worked together on this PBS show. Well, I can tell them all about that. And so. We are almost the same age, and we are from different parts of the world, and we were thrown together on this creative project that only lasted a short time, but we had so much fun that we've stayed uh, friends. And now, you're producing my comedy special. I know. I'm very excited about that, because I have to tell you, that job... The, the 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 program we worked on for PBS that was my favorite job ever because we had to, it's true because we we I always wanted to laugh and work and make money out of it I mean it's kind of a dream so um, that's what we did and what we did I think was pretty good what do you think I thought yes those were fun I think some of them are online in fact maybe I can put some links to some of those Life 360 videos to, on my site if people want to watch them or you can just search the internet for me and the words life and the number 360 but uh, you are from Romania yes I'm from Romania Bucharest to be exact Bucharest yes Which the main city it's kind of the main city the capital Bucharest, and that is not Budapest. No, that's, that's so Bucharest. not Bucharest. Yeah, it's so not Budapest. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. you left when you came from Romania. Uh-huh. It was not the Romania of now. No. I mean, not that I don't know how great Romania is now, but well, then it's a lot it, better. It was. It's a lot better now. Yeah, a lot better. Because it was a communist. It was. You were it behind was, the Iron Curtain. Well, you were born just, behind the Iron Curtain. I was. Can you believe? But not only that. It wasn't just communist. It was the communist dictatorship, and probably one of the uh, most horrible dictatorships um, that that actually the world didn't even know about until it was over, because um, our fearless dictator Ceausescu was. Um, uh, he, at the beginning, he wasn't terrible. He was in power for about 25 years. He started in 65. And at the beginning, he wasn't that bad. He was a young man who was just in power, you know, a young communist, illiterate, who got the power. And we know that's a recipe for disaster. Illiterate and power. Anyway. so <laughs> We've seen small versions of it. <laughs> so... Um, in the beginning, he wasn't terrible, but then, of course, power got to his head, and he became awful. Um, when I when I was there, when I was growing up, I didn't, you know, it wasn't that bad. In the seventies, it became a little bad, and then uh, in the eighties, I left. I, in the eighties, when I wasn't there anymore, it was horrible. 
so anyway. Well, when you talk about how bad, from bad to horrible, describe a little bit about okay, what you're so talking about. So in the beginning, okay, so it was communism, but, you know, there was still food and there were, in Bucharest anyway, uh, there was some great food, great stores, everything was available. Um, in the 70s, the freedom started, first of all, there, there was always censorship, but in the 70s, it became tighter in anything that concerned arts. I was always involved, you know, even as a child, I was interested in theater and movies, and the censorship was really tight as I, as I was becoming like a teenager. It became really, really strict. And what so, kinds of things are they censoring? But, you know, of course, anti-government things. Of course, but any they, anything could be anti-government. So anything that was outside, from outside, especially from the Western world, was anti-government. Consider anti-government. So um, just because it would give people a different perspective on yeah, on, exactly. on their any life. information on what life is like outside of that place could have been right, unless it was China or the Soviet Union or places like that. But, um, so, so there was censorship in that there were, there was no access to books, uh, music, uh, movies. Theater was the last bastion of, of sort of freedom of expression. But even that, uh, in the late seventies, even that started being more, you know, censored. But, Theater in Romania was phenomenal, and that's why I wanted to. When I when I was a teenager, I was dreaming of maybe becoming a theater director, uh-huh. because m- my mother took me to the theater from the age of I, I was eight, I was ten when I started going to the theater, and I loved it. And the actors are phenomenal, and it was just uh, it was there was a, a whole cult for the theater. And it wasn't just intellectuals that went to the theater. Everybody went to the theater. You know, well, construction workers went to the theater. And because it became sort of more and more subversive... As so it was like a populist thing. It, it was, was like like thing. movies would be, exactly. think, almost. Yeah. And it was cheap. You know, it was communist. So obviously theater uh-huh. was cheap. It was sponsored by the state. So, um, But it was so... Imaginary, but what what we were going there for was anything that could be subversive, because any sort of hint to our horrible regime, anything like that that could be caught between the lines at uh-huh. a play, let's say about the French Revolution, that had a lot of similarities to what was going on in Romania, and uh, you know. So the government's trying to stop it, but you're trying to find it and watch it and well, no, cherish no, it tr- and relish it. The government it. wasn't trying to stop it yet in uh-huh. theater uh, at that time, but anyway, we so. In, it, what was happening in theater was happening in general, in, at, at least in Bucharest, which is whether you were young or old, um, intellectual or not, people wanted to find, you know, information and and to express themselves. So there was there was a black market. First of all, there was always a black market of anything. As things started disappearing from the racks in the stores, they started appearing available on black market. Like, even though you couldn't find anything in the stores, Mm -hmm. you could find them on the black market. From bread to cigarettes, whiskey, music, books, Uh anything. 
So there was a, through this black market, I I started getting besides all the foods and all that stuff that was quite a luxury, you know, like you know. Uh, to have a sip of whiskey, I mean, I was, I was too young, but I mean, to, to have a sip of whiskey was like a dream. So, mm-hmm. in a way, I'm glad I grew up like that because I learned to appreciate everything. Uh-huh. And I still have that in me, as you know very well. I have quite, you know. It's a tremendous quality, I think. <laughs> There's a lot to like about you, but yes, no, but, I mean, you, you, have have a, you have a joie de vivre. Exactly. So, I mean, that's how we grew up with lack of things that, therefore, we could appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, I'm really grateful for that part. Uh huh. Honestly. And what. What did your parents do? Because I think that's an interesting. That's, that's interesting. To my my mother was a journalist for the Romanian Pravda. Oh, it was called Scintea, the Flame, the main newspaper. Um, and my father uh, started as in in the police as a detective, but then he he was very smart. Um, unfortunately, both my parents are gone. But um, I, I adored both of them, and my father was so brilliant and he read so much and he was such a fine human being and um he became he was because he was so smart he became really high in the ranks in criminology and and all that uh which wasn't very pleasing to the Ceausescu secret police so in the end you know he lost that position so that oh because he was a because he was police, an expert was, police officer, that was, was a threat a, to the secret to the police secret because police. The, he might accidentally discover something that they had done that they didn't want people mm, to know about. Or, well, or, maybe I mean, that, but also because the secret police and Ceausescu wanted to have control over everything, including the police, which, you know, so the secret police wasn't the police officially, uh-huh. but they wanted to take that over, and they did. So that's how my father lost his position and he was very disappointed I mean, after 30 years of working with them and whatever it was horrible but in any case they were privileged in a way you know mm-hmm. we were privileged uh, with my mother a journalist and my father having a you know a higher and higher position uh, we weren't lacking things mm-hmm. but obviously we were in the same climate as everybody else in terms of intellectually what was available to us. What I like most, the reason why I speak languages, for instance, because as you know, I speak French and Italian, is... Um, not and English. I, and English. And Romanian. Yes. Yeah. That's um, four languages. Four languages. Um, is because English I took in school uh, over there, but French and Italian I never took in school. Mm-hmm. But Romanian is a Latin language very close to Italian, and you know it's easy for us to learn Latin mm-hmm. languages. But anyway, um, another reason why I really learned, not just because it was easy for, for us, but also because, let's say, because there was no access to information, and we were so curious. You know, you're a teenager. You want to find out what's going on in the yeah. world. If somebody gave me a book in Italian, I would read it with a dictionary, but I would read it. Just to get what's Just in there. Just to get what's in there. And it was, and that's how I learned Italian. I mean, whatever was given to us, and you had it for just a few days, then you had to pass it along to others. Uh-huh. And it was just great. There was this whole... It sounds very romantic and it, clandestine. And I know, it was. It was very subversive. I mean, that's how... You know. But dangerous? Was it da- Did you feel like you were in danger? Maybe not for that. I didn't feel mm-hmm. terribly in danger. Um, there were other things that, you know, were maybe more dangerous than that, like um, if you were engaged in... 
in doing something against the government. Right. Well, how does that work with your mother as a journalist? What kind I, of I stories? I never did that. I never did that. I mean, I was a good girl. But well, I know. But what kind of stories was she writing? Was she was she that kind of journalist or more? She was. I mean, there was no such thing as investigative journalism. I see. Right. right. <laughs> you of couldn't really do that. And um, but and the same with the artists, you know. I mean, there was so much that they couldn't really like. I knew a lot of painters. They couldn't do that much. They were really talented, but they most of them ended up having to survive painting, you know, Ceausescu and his family or whatever. <laughs> Great. You know? well, how many and coffee it, table books are back? Exactly. And then you know, as as they became more and more powerful and more and more demented where they started losing it, there were all these books about how brilliant they were and how she, the wife who was actually more lethal than he was, how she was a specialist in all kinds of things and she was a, an academician. She, they, they were illiterate. But anyway. And I don't know if you've seen that movie, The Lives of Others, the German no, movie. It's phenomenal. But anyway, that totally describes that kind of... It takes place in East Germany. Um, oh, I think I did see that. It's, it came out a few years ago. A few years ago, yeah, it won yes. an Oscar. It's, yes. it's a phenomenal movie. A little romanticized, and, you know, the outcome is much nicer than actually those stories. Right. When they catch you up to something, it's right. not a, like, happy ending. So, but anyway, so I I was growing up in this climate and not unhappy and pretty effervescent intellectually and, um, at, but I knew just like everybody around me, I think knew that at a ver- very early age, uh, I knew that I had to get out of there eventually mm-hmm. because there was no future. Um, or the future that was envisioned by these people wasn't something that I wanted. But well, as you're describing it, too, it sounds like it's it's progressively... You could see it getting worse. Worse. It was getting worse um, by the... Every year it was getting worse. And at some point, because my mother had connections in the theater, I was interning at the National Theater. And I learned... Um, as I was going to high school, I started working there. And... I learned how bad censorship can be in the arts, and I saw how bad, you know, I saw the direction. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, even if my dream comes true and I do become a theater director, would I really want to do it here? So anyway, I, I knew I had to go. But it wasn't that easy, because young people could not travel. You wouldn't just, like, here, if you want to go somewhere, you get a passport or a visa, you, and you're gone. No. But you couldn't, not you're not really. just allowed to leave Romania. You can't. You couldn't. I mean, now you can, obviously. You can do anything yes. now. But uh, during the, that regime, you couldn't. You couldn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe old people could travel, because if they had pensions, maybe the state thought if they leave, you know, good riddance, we're left with their pensions. But... Um, um, Young people couldn't. Mm-hmm. So, how old were you, and how did you make your plan? Well, I made. I was basically out of high school when I when I started thinking, how am I going to get out of here? And um, but I couldn't get out of there until my parents were retired, and they were pretty young. But they they did retire young. And talk about why. Because my mother, they were both very disenchanted. I mean, honestly, they when they. When they were very young, uh, they were communists. They were young intellectuals who 
liked that dream and that ideology and well the poor. theory of everybody helping everybody else exactly. out sounds and they were great. also poor so they were, they knew that there was going to be a great opportunity for them they went to school they made a career they, so they were really into it and then they became of course more and more disenchanted and mm-hmm. disappointed and they you know they realized that what you know what happened and that their kids don't really have but the a reason future. The reason that you need to wait for them to retire is because... Otherwise, they would have been fired, and uh, then they wouldn't have had pensions. So I couldn't do that to them. So, uh, and also, I mean, I had to figure out a plan to do it. Um, There were three ways of leaving the country as a young person in those days. One was to try to defect in any sort of way, which was dangerous, whether by swimming the Danube to into Yugoslavia or... So that's just make a run for it. Make a run for it. And then if you're caught, forget it. You're in prison for... You don't get to make a second run for it. Um, So, or you could marry a foreigner, which could happen, and a lot of people did, but... It was tedious and bureaucratic, and it took forever. Mm-hmm. And the third way... <laughs> My uh, wife did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> well, here, yes. Yeah. But there it was mm-hmm. hard. So... And then the third way, which is my case, if you had any Jewish blood... My mother was Jewish. My father wasn't. Um... Ceausescu was in very good relationships with Israel. Actually, he had a good relationship with a lot of countries, reason for which the world didn't see what a bad guy he was. Mm-hmm. And so um, he looked good from the outside. To some. To, to some. a lot of countries, including Israel. So he had a good relationship with Israel, and he basically let the Jews go for a pretty penny. I mean, basically... He sold his Jews for like 5000 a head, or I don't know how much it cost, depending on whether or not you went to college. Um, so so Israel would pay to help you get out, to, to help free another Jewish person? I think Jewish it wasn't person. just Israel, but I, think it was, I don't think it was just Israel. It might have been a whole, you know, organization of wealthy Jewish people from all over the mm-hmm. world. I don't know exactly who paid, but... But yeah. the idea is... The idea, the is, idea is somebody is saving people who are like them, who are in this oppressive no, regime somebody from wants, their point of no, view. Somebody wants Jewish people from Eastern Europe to go to Israel. That was the yes, idea. Yes, yes, I see. Yeah. So, um, so I decided, you know, I'll try. Why not? So, um... But it wasn't that easy because I was the only one in the family who wanted to... First of all, my parents did get retired early because... My mother was disenchanted. She started claiming that she had some, you know, mental disorders, whatever. So she managed to get herself retired pension. Mm-hmm. My father, on the other hand, uh, they wanted to get rid of him, so they found some horrible excuse like, "Well, your wife is Jewish, so you, you know, you, your kids could leave any time." And he was like, "But you knew that." I, married a Jewish woman 30 years ago and um, they they still didn't like that and they said no you, you have to go so he had a heart attack I think I think that's why I think he had a heart attack and that's how they retired him right away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with a pretty decent pension so the next day I went to the passport service in Bucharest and asked to leave but it wasn't that easy by doing that you basically just put yourself on a blacklist 
you're one of you're one of the bad guys. Yeah, you want to leave. You and you have to declare that before you know for sure if Israel is going to yeah yeah absolutely. embrace you. And, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that part was hard, and then. Also and you would they have been how old at that time? I was a kid. I was 19, 19 20. 20. Yeah. My mother was all for it. She was um, lobbying with me because they then they start interviewing you all kinds of committees that would start interviewing you like what are your reasons why would you want to leave they wouldn't wouldn't take me seriously like come on you know stop it why do you want to leave stay here blah 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 you're the only one in your family but anyway my mother came with me to some of these meetings so in the end I managed to not only like to put myself on the list for a passport, but also to... I went to the Israeli embassy and also I managed to put myself on sort of an emergency list because I told them, in the meantime, I'm blacklisted, I won't be able to find any work mm-hmm. or anything. So you have to work both sides of this deal. Yes. You have to get yeah. you have to get them to let you go and then you have to get... And, and I had to be the Israelis very... To I had to, to be very feisty, too. So I went to somebody who knew law, uh, an international law, and... Because I didn't want to end up in prison, and I wanted to know what I'm saying. So In prison in Romania? Yeah. yeah. So he, I asked him, what is it that I should never say when I go fighting for my cause and for leaving the country? And he mm. taught me. And um, What is it that you should never say? <laughs> well, I mean, there are certain things, but he basically was... Uh, was uh, giving gave me the the ammunition like the, according to such and such law you're entitled to go because blah 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 mm-hmm. so anyway i um finally was on an emergency list at the israeli embassy and um i i don't know there was some diplomatic something going on somebody was visiting romania so they let some people go to look good and, and i was you, you and i was one of them so um i left romania to go to. So the the idea was to leave Romania as a an, an Romanian citizen, resident in Israel, uh, with a Romanian passport. Mm-hmm. As soon as I got to Israel, uh, I realized that I, I really wanted to go there. I wanted to see what's going on. But I just realized that it wasn't for me because... It was it was a hard life mm-hmm. in Israel, army and oh, I mean I was a kid I was you know good for the army good for a lot of things but I didn't really want to exchange a hard life for another hard life so well in the history of Israel that was still early days I mean we're still yeah, in sort of early days yes, of Israel but I mean that exactly was early early, early days and and also the language barrier and the culture barrier. And I realized, you know, for me to do theater or whatever I want to do, it's going to be really hard. So I decided to leave. And um, uh, it wasn't easy to leave. But I, I left Israel and I went to Greece where I became a um, political refugee. Did you have to get a second passport to leave no, Israel? No, my Romanian I had a Romanian passport. So even though you're out of Romania, that you've got the passport, and so you can leave Israel and go to Greece. Yes, and and I knew also because you know we were all we had to know our rights and know what we were doing, even as as young as we were. So uh, I found out that um, I had um, the right to be a political refugee anywhere uh, for six months after leaving Romania. So you start off being a political refugee in Israel, and then you no, decide. I couldn't be. A ref- I was a, a, a permanent resident in Israel. I see. Mm-hmm. I left that. I went to Greece, and then um, in Greece, I asked for asylum. 
because I still had the right to be a refugee. It was mm-hmm. within the six months. So I became a political refugee. They had to grant me asylum, but just uh, put me in a sort of a refugee hotel and then refugee camp. Uh, so you're not free to roam Greece? No, in, in, in the beginning you are, because they put you in a hotel in the middle of Athens. You are mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they, they sort of grant you asylum, mm-hmm. the Greek government, and then they take care of... You, ha- you had a choice in those days between uh, Australia, Canada, and the United States. They didn't keep refugees in Greece or in most European countries. So the choice was between these three countries. When they asked me Australia, Canada, or United States, I said New York. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Because to you, to me, the United that, States that is was, New York, yeah. No, to me that was, that was it. I knew... I had to come to New York. Because another thing that my mother always um, instilled in me was the love of New York through jazz and everything. And also part of my uh, uh, (laughs) black market um, source of music was phenomenal. I I was listening at 15 or 16, I was listening to Miles Davis, sketches of Spain and all this beautiful music Mm -hmm. and thinking, I want to go where this music comes from. Yeah. And um, he was one of my idols, so I had to come to New York. So anyway, um, so back to Greece. I'm in Greece. I was in Greece for eight months waiting for my papers. First, they had to arrange an interview with the embassy of the respective country that you chose. And they obviously, it it took a little bit like um, two or three months to arrange for that interview. Meanwhile, you're in Greece and can you work or how do you support yourself? No, you can't work. You cannot work. But they give you, they put me in a hotel that was pretty seedy with refugees in in a bad part of Athens and they gave me, I think, two dollars a day to eat, which was enough for me. And, uh, and... That would have been in the early 80s? Yeah, I mean, yeah. In Greece, were you, was it scary? Were you? Did you have a friend? I was, no, it was, and it was scary. I have to say, was, and my journey actually was happy throughout, even with its bad moments. But that was a bad moment when I was in Greece and uh, mm-hmm. in this hotel full of refugees. And I was a young woman traveling alone, so it wasn't that easy. There were people coming and knocking on my door at night and saying obscene things. It was pretty yucky. Yeah, yucky is to, yucky to is put the, it pretty put mildly. It I mean, it's like borderline <laughs> sexual assault, yeah. dangery. So yeah. I had a phone number. Um, somebody, excuse me. Somebody in uh, Israel gave me a number. Uh, I, I don't remember how I had the number. I think somebody in Israel gave me a number of someone in Greece who might be able to help. I called. There was a woman, young woman. I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, in the meantime, I changed my mind, by the way, in Israel, because I met a very charming young young man, and we liked each other very much. And he put me on a different track. He, he had come back from New York University Film School, and he said, that's what you have to do. You have to go and study film, because theater, you might, you know, starve. or. Uh-huh. And I loved movies, too, yeah. so it wasn't such a hard switch for me. So... Um, my, I was on a mission to go to New York and go to NYU mm-hmm. Film School. 
So when I call this woman in Greece... What, I, I just... know were these Israelis, was there any kind of disappointment or... Were they upset on it in any way when it's like you show up in Israel and they say, you know what? Yeah, of course they I'm were, leaving. but I had, I, had, um, I had the presence, the inspiration to keep my Romanian passport, so they couldn't really keep me there. Mm-hmm. So I left. <clears throat> I managed to leave. They weren't happy about it, but I said, oh, I have to go and see my parents. I miss them. And then basically when I got to Greece, I asked for asylum. So that was it. You're crafty. I was. I think I, I. I think my dose of courage and feistiness is, was that at that age, and I lost it once I came here. Do you think so? I don't think so. I think no, that. But anyway, I, I think more that you're. I think you're assertive. You're assertive and charming instead of being. Um, you know, you don't. You don't have to use any kind of intimidation or or force because people people want to do what you want them to do. They want to do what you want them Aww, to do. Oh, thank you, Jake. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is a good, a better weapon. Mm-hmm. So you call this woman? I call this woman, and what, what am I going to say? So I, I just, I don't know, I just said, um, I have this number from so-and-so, and I um, am here, and I'm not, I don't need money or anything. I'm here for a few months on my way to America to go to film school and make movies. <laughs> I, love, I love the way that when you're 20 years old, yeah, you tell people so your dream of like, yeah. yes, if you're to Frank Sinatra, I'm going to do simple. that. Yeah. So it's pizza cake. So um, she was speechless. Um, and she said, okay, I'll, I'll come and meet you. So mm-hmm. she came to my seedy little hotel, this wealthy woman. I could tell she was wealthy, you know, fur coat and smelling good and glamorous and you know so she, she was lovely and she said to me I said look I don't want to do, to make money I I just want to do something I can't just be here in this hotel all day long I'll go crazy mm-hmm. especially with and I described to her the situation there so she said what can you do and I said you know I speak French I speak Italian she said okay let me see what I can do the next day somebody called me uh, a young woman, and she said, uh, I've taken French in school forever, but I can't speak it, and I would love to just have afternoons of conversation in French with you. So it was lovely. This woman was wonderful, and, and I was spending every afternoon with her, going to the movies in French or whatever, art galleries, museums, mm-hmm. just speaking French all afternoon with her, and she was lovely. It turned out, actually, she was in the diplomatic world, uh, her husband was the undersecretary for foreign affairs or something like that. So I became sort of the entertainer of the palace. Everybody wanted me at their parties because they were pretty boring. So here's this young girl who comes from somewhere, goes somewhere. Nobody had seen anything like that. They were kind of amazed by my story. And they were so good to me, uh-huh. so generous and sweet. And uh, So I had a pretty good life in Greece mm-hmm. while waiting for my papers. Finally, I had an interview was the uh, uh, American embassy. And uh, I went there, and my friends, my new Greek friends, advised me to be ambiguous, evasive, to not sound too fanatic against communism or whatever. Not To not sound like a trouble. While you're talking to the Americans, they say that you should be that way. During that interview, I should Uh be... You know, ev- evasive was the word I think that they used. Evasive. Yeah, like ambiguous. Don't be, you know, too 
opinionated. They want you to be evasive yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So that, yeah. Yeah. Because they said that otherwise you might tell. But they were diplomats. They were like otherwise you might sound a bit too harsh or too much of a troublemaker. And Was that the right way to do it? Well, it's coming. So. I went to the interview, and thank God I spoke English, so the that already was a plus. But I knew from people in the hotel and other people talking about it that this guy was really tough and that he didn't like women traveling alone for some reason, whatever. So I went there, but because I spoke English, that was already a, an advantage. And he kind of tortured me for two hours, or it seemed like two hours, maybe it was less, asking me what were my reasons to be a refugee, political, religious, whatever. And I was like, well, because I wanted to be evasive. I didn't suffer, but my friends, but my parents, but my whatever. Mm -hmm. He was kind of exasperated after whatever time it took, and he said to me, look, uh, what are your political beliefs? You're too evasive for me. And at that point, I had divine inspiration. I really think I had divine inspiration to uh-huh. say the right thing. I said, look, I'm so young. I don't know. I just know one system, and that is not good. I, I just have a little more growing up to do, and I want to do it in America, and then I'll know. And the guy was so touched by it. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. You ran. He was pissed off. I was <laughs> like, he was sore. You know. But you were telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So he let me. That was it. And once that was a yes from that mm-hmm. country, then they kind of take you over to try to find a sponsor to, you know, get the papers in order. Because coming here as a refugee, I came with a social security number legally. So, so immediately, as soon as you arrive, you are a refugee, you're allowed to work. You're right to, yeah, absolutely. You come as, as a so-called, I mean, at the time, that's how it was called, conditional entrance. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a social security number, you could work, and then after two years of that, you can get the green card, and then three years later, you can become a citizen, which is what happened. So that's how that's what happened. So, but it took a while. I was in Greece for I think we're together eight months. So then I came here. Uh, they couldn't find a sponsor. Eight months living in that weird hotel, having French tea with. Yeah, but in the meantime. I had so many friends. I right, you became the toast of time, yeah. toast of Athens. <laughs> yes. So, um, but you know, I came to New York, and I remember I thought I was going to have a heart attack flying over Manhattan, and in my head playing the Rhapsody in Blue or something because I was so mm-hmm. excited about coming to New York. And I have to say, I have the same feeling today when I come back. I love coming back to New York. It is funny to me because I've, we've known each other all this time, and and I've known your story, obviously, all this time. But to me, you seem like such a New Yorker. I mean, that if if anyone's a New Yorker, you're a New Yorker. I mean, the, those Sex and the City women could have followed you around to figure out how to do all those things that they were doing. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, I always loved New York, and I think it came from my mother, and she was right. I, I still adore it. But um, And I also loved the way New York welcomed me. I mean... What happens when you get here? What is so it like? So, that when I, so I got here, and, and there was a strike at JFK, like a, a, a traffic controllers or some kind of strike, but it was a pandemonic. Mm-hmm. scene and I thought well it was like America America the kind of scene you know mm-hmm. people and bags oh, it was horrible um, 
That could have been around the Ronald Reagan firing it all was, the air traffic um, controllers, yeah. or maybe it, it could have been another strike. It was knows. the beginning of Reagan. The Reagan. Yeah. And uh, so the, the, the International Red Cross, I didn't, they couldn't find a sponsor for me in New York because, I mean, they could have maybe found one in the country somewhere in, the, in this big country, but not in New York. So the International Red Cross came, they picked me up, they took me to a welfare hotel on uh, in, in, on the Upper West Side. It was still run down. Mm-hmm. And, um, was it nicer than the terrible Greek hotel? No. Less, right? It was just as bad. CD okay. welfare mm-hmm. hotel. Um, they paid for two weeks at that hotel. They gave me 35 bucks and bye-bye. Get a job. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Wow. And that, so you had no money. <laughs> no money. A suitcase full of your yeah, clothes. But come on. I mean, I was in New York. I was so excited. Right. And you were 20. Yeah, 20. 20, 20 21, yeah. So, 21. So I was like, uh, immediately I wanted to, like, figure out how am I going to go to NYU. But before I did that, like, what am I going to do money-wise? So I had to find a job. So I... um looked in the papers and the help wanted ads were very complicated as they still are and I couldn't understand anything but I understood something in one of them about travel so I went to that place and I was like hello you know I'm looking I was like a Martian to them obviously because they're like who are you you know what do you want and they were but they were touched by my story when I told them I was really off the boat and um they said, but what can you do? Can you type? No. Can you do whatever? No. But what can you do? I speak this language. Okay, well, we are looking for a secretary. But um, there is a company, there was in a hotel, it was a big hotel, and they said in this building there is also a tour guide, some, some uh, touring companies, and they might need tour guides, and you speak these languages, you might be useful to them. <laughs> so you just got to New York. Three and days I, later, I was a tour guide in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so the modern day equivalent of that is when you call tech support and you wind up talking <laughs> to someone in India. You were the you, you come to New York from your country, France or Italy, to go on a tour, and you get a your guide is a girl from Romania who just got here. Which was great because uh, basically it was. A lot of babysitting, you know, we, if we went to the Statue of Liberty or, you know, I basically had to get them the, on the ferry, to get them the tickets. Just, just to understand of, how everything works. Just, yeah, just the nuts them, and bolts of getting from one place. Yeah. yeah, It wasn't like they... Yeah. You didn't have to describe the history of... But there were some times when they, they had like a Chinatown tour, and that, but that was pretty easy. I mean, I learned that pretty quickly. So anyway, so that was my first job in here. But when I became that, I thought... Definitely, I'm a lifer. I mean, if New York welcomes me like this, uh, that I'm a guide three days later, this is the place for me. Yeah, for yeah. sure. My instincts were right. I'm going to be a lifer here. Yeah. So that was... Uh, well, that's one of the great things for me coming here is that you are still my tour guides. You know, you're telling me, oh, this is the restaurant we're going to go to. and Oh, here's where we're going to go have a drink after the show. Or, oh, I know the best place where we can get a cup of coffee. You know, you yeah. still... You I, still I, I love it. I still love it. I always will. I mean, I always um, contemplated the idea of going somewhere else because... It's hard. It's hard in New York. It's expensive. You have to work a lot to to live, you know, decently. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't mind it at all. And I, I'm considered at times like, okay, maybe I should move. But I didn't know where to go. After New York, it's hard. I don't know where to go. I mean, I love walking. I love walking the mm. streets. I love the street life. I couldn't go to a place where I'd have to be in my car. Well, you are such a New Yorker. Do you love the things about New York that are only in available New in New York, really? Yeah. I mean, Chicago is a great city. Chicago is a great San city. San Francisco and I Seattle. Love, I, and and I, I love where I live I in love, Los Angeles, I Santa love, Monica. But I love so many places in the States. I mean, I love Miami, too. I love, I love so many places. I, I recently uh, discovered um, Portland, and I loved it. I mean, you know... Mm-hmm. Well, because you travel, you're traveling travel all around, lot, not yes. just the United States, but the world now. Yes. Because you're freelancing, but you were making. Uh, I always these traveled videos. a lot because even before, uh, I was always a freelancer, and I worked in in um, television, and I worked for ABC and CNN, and which is that's how that's how we met. The that's job we that met. we the were talking about at the beginning was for ABC News. They were producing it for ABC PBS. News Nightline was producing a show for PBS. Yeah. And uh, did you go to NYU? Yes. So I was probably the only person on the planet that went to NYU and didn't pay for it. Because it was, a, it was at the beginning of the Reagan administration, but there were still some financial aid programs. I don't know when they stopped, probably deeper into his administration. But there were some leftover um, financial aid. Sorry. Sure. Uh, there were, there was your th- office mate who was just peeking yeah, in. My office mate, just peeking in. So there was uh, still uh, things left over from the Carter administration. So anyway, when I because I was I had a refugee status, I uh, had in the in the first semester at NYU, I had a, a federal grant. In mm-hmm. The second semester, when I by then I had become a New York State resident. I got a grant from that too, and then I started. Uh, I, I, w- I became a teaching assistant, and that paid for the rest of my credits. So I didn't pay for NYU. And you have a degree in film, film and television, and cinema studies, because uh, coming from Romania, I wanted to. I, I had such a handicap; I hadn't seen a lot of movies, so I double majored in cinema studies so that I could watch mm-hmm. a lot of movies. And. By a sort of loose definition, my show is a theater show that you have filmed yes. and that will soon be available for people to watch. I Our know. collaboration. I know, and I love that. I love. First of all, I love that we worked, uh, that we're working together again. Me too. And then uh, I love this uh, the the theater atmosphere, the spectacle, the the immediate response from the audience. That part I miss because. You know, I work in television, and that's mm-hmm. fun, and I do a lot of documentaries now, documentary-style work, anyway. But I miss that. I miss the, the, the immediate response from the audience. Well, the live the live show, it, there's just nothing like live entertainment, whether it's music or theater or stand-up comedy or puppet shows or whatever you're going to see. To see it live, people don't... I think they've kind of lost a little bit of touch of the reality. As much as everybody talks about high definition and 3D and all this other stuff, the ultimate 3D immersive experience is to go and be in a room and watch people doing things. You know, that's that's the ultimate. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's very exciting that we're working together again. Yes, me too. So... 
I am so glad that you came on the podcast, and I'm hoping that you will come on again sometime and we can just have a conversation about things that we both enjoy. But I really, I just love your story, and I'm so uh, grateful that you came on and told it so other people will be able to love it and love you. Oh, thank you, Jake. Where are we going to go for dinner? So tonight we're going to go for dinner um, to a place that I love and I support very much because they opened, they had the courage to open in 2009 when all the restaurants were closing. And they had such low prices and such good food. And um, I love them for it and they kept their low prices, although we're out of that Crisis. Right. They opened their restaurant right in the smoking crater of the global economic <laughs> exactly. meltdown. In the meltdown. Plus, I love the fact that they love Fellini. They have pictures mm-hmm. of Fellini everywhere on the walls, and I love Fellini. And the food is delicious. So, um, Well, I've enjoyed eating there before. And so we'll give them a plug so people know when you come yes. to New York. La Carbonara on 14th Street. Between? Between 7th and 8th Avenues. All right. Thank you, Dora. Thank you, Jay. Usually I do a high five, but I think we should do a kiss. Yes. Well, there you have it. And guess what? We did have a great dinner at La Carbonara. Carbonara. Um, on 14th Street in New York, I had uh, this pasta orchietti thing. It was the night, it was two nights before I left, because then the next night we went to another great restaurant in New York that's no secret, but it's a Frenchy place. And uh, I wouldn't really say that I'm a Frenchy file, but it was so delicious, La Luncheonette. It's been there for a long time, and there's rumors that it might be closing, so you might want to go to La Luncheonette the next time you go to Manhattan. If that's a thing that you do, maybe that's not a thing that you do. But if you do, that's a thing that you could do while you're doing that thing you do. And keep doing the thing you do. Do not give up doing that. There will be plenty of time to give up later on, as I like to say. After my after my trip to New York, I enjoyed a nice flight home where I did not get to sit next to Angela Lansbury, as I discussed in last week's episode of the podcast. I got next sitting next to... Uh, Oh, some just dude who was, he wasn't that tall, but he really had some elbows on him. He kept, and I was in, I I got upgraded. I got upgraded to business class. So technically there should be enough room on those armrests for everybody's elbows. But the dude kept touching me, just lightly, lightly touching me. I'm not sure if he, he, he was aware of it, but when you're trying to sleep or concentrate and some guy keeps lightly touching you, it's, it's, it's unsettling. I mean, even if it was a woman, it would have also been weird. But, you know, you can't tell if he's doing it on purpose to be, you know, some aggressive Navy man crap that he learned about asserting himself or, you know, marking his territory. I don't know what was going on, but he was he was in my head for some of the trip. I had to, I had to kind of just surrender the armrest and go arms crossed for a while, uh, put my hands in my lap. Of course, I was eating my lunch during part of it and then watching movies. Oh, yes, I watched Hot Fuzz again. And I also watched, well, I can't even remember the other movie. Oh, oh, I watched Pacific Rim, <laughs> giant robots. You know, the airplane is a great place to watch a movie about giant robots fighting in the ocean against weird lizard things from another dimension. So that is the only uh, circumstance that I would recommend anyone watching Pacific Rim. Now, I don't want I shouldn't say that because it was fun and there was some fighting and some good man acting and uh, 
sort of weird fighty romance between the fighty man and the fighty lady. But it was kind of boilerplate action movie gunk. I did have fun, though. I watched the whole thing. I watched the whole thing while I was sitting next to Aggressive Elbow Man. And then I'm back in California right now, getting ready, repacking my woolly hat and my thermal underpantaloons for my trip to Edmonton, Canada. So I'll look forward to seeing you, any of you there who show up, and uh, get your condom story ready. First one gets the $10. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.